This is Gritty Girls, a place where you can come to process the issues and topics your girlfriends, family, or coworkers may or may not be discussing. However, you're thinking about these issues, so let's dive into them together. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Lee. And I'm Leslie Campbell, and we are the Gritty Girls. Every day in June, 13,000 American couples will say, I do, and I was among them. One of many who decided to join the world of matrimony 12 years ago this June. It's been one bumpy ride, filled with joys and frustrations and near catastrophes. And yet most of us plunge right in. Marriage is learning to respect other people's priorities as much as your own. So my marriage to me, my marriage to me, is uh, spending every day with my best friend. And choosing, no, I'm going to cry. Oh my goodness. Uh, Having a partner throughout life that I can depend on and that knows me without me having to say anything. Um, Calls me out when I need to be called out and helps to sharpen and refine me. What I look for in a marriage is, is, is a partnership that means that when we're 98 years old and we're in, the, you know, in our last days, she still wants to talk with me and still wants to share with me and I still want to do the same. Someone you, you know that you can trust and has got your back and you've got their back. And yes, it's us against the world and, and it's us with the world. Now, in this next one, his wife calls just as he's telling us what marriage means to him. Marriage to me would mean um, ensuring that you put forth enough both. Um, that's, that's, that's marriage. That's my wife's ringtone, as a matter of fact. Sh- shows you what I, uh, I feel about marriage, right? She's Darth Vader. So uh, marriage is, uh, to me is ultimately, um, you know, sacrifice and, you know, compromise and also thinking through um, what is going to effectively help that other person, right? Finding out where, you know, their strengths and weaknesses are and trying to augment those wherever you can, relying on their strengths, building up their weaknesses, and then... Um, working together to, you know, do the best you can, um, sacrificing for one another. That last one is my friend, and his wife is a gentle, amazing woman who does not bring Darth Vader to mind, but it just goes to show, metaphorically, how challenging marriage really is. Some days, I do think it's a miracle any couple survives this institution. I just celebrated my 15-year anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Oh, thanks. And um, I concur. (laughs) Anybody who's been married as long as we've been married, I think, can concur. Yeah. Right? If Yeah, if they're honest. If they're honest, if they're willing to uh, confront problems in their marriage. I think so. Rather than pretend that there aren't any. There's always a few exceptions. Mm -hmm. I've met a couple Mm -hmm. 
So I'm pretty sure that the last thing these June couples want to read is an article titled, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person by Alan DeBotton, a philosopher who's written at least two books on love. I remember being instantly drawn to the article when I came across it last year because my husband and I were on one of our downswings. And my reaction when I saw the title was, that's the problem. I married the wrong man, right? (laughs) But, you know, I also felt encouraged that I wasn't alone and that maybe I would find something insightful there. Well, indeed, I wasn't the only one looking for answers because in 2016, it was the number one downloaded New York Times article, which is why we want to spend today's show on this question. Is the author right? Do we marry the wrong person? Do most of us agree and look to the article for answers? Or are we unsure if we had married the wrong person? Or are some of us downright offended by the author's premise and audacity to state such an outrageous idea, like the people (laughs) you say who never fight, or the people who swear up and down, he is my soulmate, or she is my soulmate. (laughs) So um, what was your reaction? As soon as I read the title, I thought, yeah. I think no matter who you marry, there's going to be problems and issues. It's just a matter of whose problems and issues are you going to choose to spend the rest of your life with? I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I know. I think that for people who are newly married, that is a wake-up call. What you just said, Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to like that. I don't think they're going to like it. And part of me may not have liked it years ago when I got married, but... My husband and I, we had dated for four years before we got married, so... Ah, you were old hat by then, so you kinda, knew what was coming. I was still very young, and, and you know, I still had a lot of dreamy ideas of what I thought marriage would be. But at the same time, um, I, I think the honeymoon had already been over a little while, and I feel like I was... And I don't mean that in a negative way. We always say that as if, oh, the honeymoon's over. Well... It's not even possible to maintain that level of infatuation forever with anybody. You know, I think by that point, I had kind of had a more realistic view of, yeah, this is going to take some work, but, you know, we're we're going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, If we can pause really quickly and talk about that. It's really interesting that you said, even though you had been together four four years, you still had this kind of misty-eyed, you know, um, expectation of what the marriage would be like. So do you think that until you say, I do, that that exists? I think so. Um, I think what I've learned over the last few years and what I didn't understand back then is how much a person can change over time. Neither I nor my husband are the people we were when we first got married. We've, uh, due to circumstance and, and other things that we've been through, you know, a whole gamut of different trials and things, you know, we've, we've come out different. And um, I don't know that I would have recognized us had our future selves gone and visited us on our wedding day. That was something I was not prepared for. My husband would definitely say that I am um, a very... He, he's very glad with the changes that I have made uh, since we've been married. <laughs> it was not easy. I've learned to be much more agreeable yeah. uh, when we disagree. That's good. I've learned to really accept who he is yeah. rather than wish he were someone with qualities that I've 
not dreamed up, but some were yeah. unrealistic. Right. Uh, some were realistic, but they're just not him. Right. But he brings other things to the table, right? Exactly. And, you know, I too have had to learn to set aside my expectations of who I think my husband should be and look at him for who he is and love him for who he is in the stage of life that he's in. And, you know, he, I'm sure, has had to do that with me as well. You know, I'd be lying if I said I'm just super easy to live with all the time. And I think we're going to oh, talk we're gonna a little talk bit about, about that, that. Right here. Yeah. So um, in the first line, for those, uh, you know, for the listeners who have not read this article, uh, in the first line, it says that even though we do everything to avoid it, we marry the wrong person. He says it doesn't help that when we get close to others, a bewildering array of problems emerge. In fact, a prerequisite question on any dinner date should be, and how are you crazy? I love that. I know, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's so realistic, it right? Is. It's so practical. DeBotten says, the reason we don't realize that we each have complex psychology is because we don't delve into our psyche. Whenever a casual relationship threatens to reveal our flaws, we blame our partners and call it a day. Our friends don't care to do the hard work of enlightening us. Thus, one of the privileges of being single is the sincere impression we're easy to live with. <laughs> and the same can be said of our partner. I am totally guilty of that. I won't say that I wasn't aware of my some of my neuroses, mm -hmm. but overall, I thought, I'm interesting, I'm hardworking, I'm organized, I'm pretty cute <laughs> at the time. Okay, You're that cute. was, that was so years cute. ago. <laughs> years ago. I had a great career. I thought, what's what's not to like? I mean, I, I really did think that I was I've easier. I've got it all. <laughs> there was a lot of ego there about, I think, the other person needing to cater to me. Yeah. You know, to not, like, serve me, but emotionally right. cater to me. Well, DeBotten says that marriage ends up as a hopeful, generous, infinitely kind gamble taken by two people who don't yet know who they are or who the other might be, binding themselves to a future that they cannot conceive. And here is the key piece behind this premise. Even though we believe we're seeking happiness in marriage, what we're really seeking is familiarity. That familiarity that we unconsciously seek is an attempt to recreate the feelings that we knew so well in childhood. Those feelings of love as a child were mixed up with such complications and dysfunctions as wanting to help or save an out-of-control parent, of being deprived of a parent's warmth and attention, of being scared of a parent's anger, just as a few examples. As a result, we reject what's mature and dependable because it's not familiar. And here's the part that makes me sad. He uh, ends that section by saying, we marry the wrong person because we don't associate being loved with being happy. So again, he says, we don't we marry the wrong person because we don't associate being loved with being happy. So that's powerfully insightful and one that honestly we can all agree with and relate with because we don't believe that it's love unless we are head over heels in love, whether the other person loves us or not. And we can all relate to this when we think about those middle school crushes, right? Mm -hmm. Where you are on your one lonely side obsessing about someone and yeah. having a crush on someone. And it really didn't matter if that person loved you back or not. 
you could carry on this infatuation for oh, yeah. several years, mm-hmm. right? That's not a mature love. You know, we think unless we're the ones who really love that person, yeah. we project a lot onto them. So yeah, we it, do. especially in that beginning stage where you cover up their faults, you right. make excuses for their shortcomings. You want it to be perfect. Yeah. So we don't bring this clear-eyed, right. uh, realistic look at this other person. Right. And I think on the other hand, not only do we maybe bring some of those negative things in, for the select few that that did grow up in happy homes, healthy homes, we may look to our partner to replicate what we experienced growing up. You know, someone who did have a good dad, who took care of things and, and behaved in a certain way, maybe we expect our husband to do the same. And, and I would say the reverse could be true for, um, you know, a husband having certain expectations of his wife. Maybe his mom always did certain things for him, so you should too. I also would be curious to know about uh, homosexual couples too, um, maybe how some of that comes in, into play. You know, I think we all no matter what our orientation uh, may be, we all bring a certain amount of amount of baggage to the home when we when we marry. I read some stats uh, from the CDC that shows, yes, those same stats, statistics on divorce do and separation do apply to homosexual couples as well. Interesting. And I think when you brought up the point about uh, even in homes where even in in, in marriages where one of the partners, comes from a happy, healthy childhood, Mm -hmm. and they're expecting their spouse to be a certain way, there's always dysfunction. I hate to break it to people, (laughs) but everyone has a dysfunction. Right. My... uh, one of my therapists, one nice, huh? One of my therapists. One of them. One of many. A former therapist (laughs) told me uh, that if you're a perfect mother, then your child will not know how to function in society. Hmm. I'm doing a damn good job then. (laughs) Right on, sister. (laughs) Or as my husband likes to say... We're all effed up. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, so yes, that's the case. And for those who do come from, you know, again, where their parents did, right. let's say, you know, they were very healthy, and you're expecting that everything's going to be happy or mm-hmm. everything's going to work out, well, that's a dysfunction right. also. So, again. You just reminded me of something. Oh. I just sent, um, I confess, I love memes uh-huh. probably more than I should. They, they bring me joy. And I believe that they speak a, a lot of truth in our They lives. do. And they wrap things up so perfectly, they don't do. they? And I sent one to a good friend of mine. And it's got this picture. I'll show it to you so you can see. This nice little 1950s looking mom. And um, it says, I used to want to be the mom with the house where all the kids wanted to be. You know, be that mom that baked cookies and shit. But then I realized that. I'm the kind of mom that says bake cookies and shit. <laughs> Someone had me pegged. <laughs> oh man, shatter the perfect image. That's what we're here to do. Yeah, right. It, it's it's gone. I love it. I love it. So, um, all right. So I want to share that. Uh, you know, I always remember this uh, from my mother. My mom, she always said she'd rather be loved than to love. Mm. And she says this because she's experienced the latter to her deep regret. 
She grew up impoverished, a child of World War II, her parents having left China for Taiwan following the Civil War in order to flee communist rule. She tells stories of going barefoot so she wouldn't sully her white canvas shoes donated by an American charity. She never knew when she would get a new pair. On days when food was scarce, she would scour the hillsides for edible greens and roots. Uh, Her father was a poor soldier. Uh, He drove trucks for the military to support his wife and five children. So when she met my father, she had been eager to escape the heavy responsibilities of being the oldest girl. But rather than marry a balanced, reliable suitor, she married my father, a young soldier her age who was a sweet talker, short on accountability, just like her own mother, who gambled most days, spending what little money they had. Mm. My father, unfortunately, reflects uh, Debatten's premise. Uh, so my mother unconsciously chose what felt familiar. Wow. Right. Now, some readers believe the author uh, is right in cases where people marry young, like my mother did, because they hadn't become self-aware enough yet uh, to recognize the fact that they were replaying uh, dysfunctions from their childhood. In fact, the latest CDC stats, statistics do show that the younger people marry, especially in their teens, the greater their chances for divorce. But in cases where people marry when they're older... How do the statistics stack up? Well, according to the same report, more people are choosing to marry older, but overall, the divorce rate for first marriages is still a discouraging 50%. So perhaps DeBotten was right, or Maybe. is right. Do people marry what's familiar? In other words, they marry their dysfunction? Okay, so we're going to do a reality check with my good friend, psychotherapist Amy Shi. Amy refers to herself as a relationship therapist because she focuses on how couples relate with one another, how individuals relate with themselves, and the growth that ensues. So she's really the perfect person for us to uh, to hear and to see what Amy thinks about DeBotten's premises. Uh, so Amy, I think DeBotten's premise that we each believe the lie that we're easy to live with accepts the premise that indeed we're not easy to live with. Should we adjust our expectations and go into marriage with a huge dose of compromise ready to go. Most of the relationship is not even really about compromise. Even the idea of compromise, it takes, it requires so much more. You know, the problem is most of us, we don't go into marriage thinking, okay, I'm going into this with compromise. Like who thinks that? Most people are going in fully ego inflated, right? This person fulfills me. This person completes me, right? That's like a big problem. Compromise is really having a cut and dry way of doing things, more black and white, of finding, you know, I like this and you like that and I want it this way and you want it this way. But Uh. really it involves so much more than that. It involves when you see things differently, it involves you being able to listen to one another. It, invo- it, it, it requires our ability to be able to listen to one another and to not have a rebuttal, to be able to have a sense of curiosity and wonder, wanting to understand where is this coming up for my partner? Why is it that they see things differently? Yeah. And oftentimes we aren't able to do that. We move into attack mode very quickly and uh, because one of us feels hurt. So this is, you know, most of that, that's what a relationship really requires is 
our ability to validate one another's feelings and perspective and realizing that they come from mm. different experiences okay. that we have had. So I'm going to, okay, so I'm going to interject there. So that then makes me want to ask you, that's where the problem is, right? So we're not at all in the mode of open to the other person and being curious about the other person. We're bringing in our baggage, to the marriage. We're bringing in kind of the the types of interactions that we had, for example, with our parents um, and the dysfunctions that we had, uh, you know, from our past. We're bringing that into the marriage. And I think that Debatten, when he says that we're each ultimately seeking what's familiar in marriage, um, are we each looking for th- that dysfunction, you know, that our parents had? And so this, we're looking for this person that's familiar, which could be really dysfunctional, and then we bring in our own dysfunction with that. Yes, we don't even realize that we are bringing in someone that brings up feelings from our past. So we don't even realize that, you know, if as a child we had we felt at times unloved or we felt rejected or we felt not understood or powerless or invalidated that oftentimes the person that we meet, we experience similar feelings. Then we get triggered and then we react and we may react in becoming defensive or becoming angry. And so now you are letting someone into your space. Now you can't so easily control these parts of yourself that you were able to do when you were dating. So are we are we doomed then? Are we doomed to repeat what happened with us? Um, or do you see opportunities in choosing what's familiar? You know, a therapist once told me marriage is to fix the unfinished business of childhood. The pitfall is if we don't have the awareness and the openness and the willingness to look at where is this reactivity coming from? Mm-hmm. And we think it's just coming from our partner. But if we instead uh, chose to look at it and notice it and to sit with it before reacting, we would start, we would be able to begin to notice, you know, wait a minute, this is a feeling I've, I've experienced before. And so if we don't enter that place, then it becomes a cycle for us. And so even if we leave this relationship, this is a pattern we will repeat. And so the opportunity is that you have an opportunity to see this, to notice this. Really, the dance of the relationship is that you are kind of helping each other to shine light on those other parts of yourself that are wounded and to heal those parts. So, you know, when you say it that way, it sounds like there's this beautiful opportunity to grow together, um, even though it can be a really painful process. It can be, and it can be a very painful process, but we have to think of what is the alternative because really we are experiencing great suffering in the reactivity, in trying to suppress what we are feeling and trying to find different ways of accumulating things so that we don't feel these unwanted feelings. So, you know, we have, what we have gotten good at is is being in a pursuing and doing place. And in the doing, because we learned this as children, when we didn't have our needs met, we had to find a way to get through a stressful moment. And so, and, and as adults, you know, we began to reach out externally for things to make us 
feel fulfilled so that we wouldn't have to feel those unwanted feelings. So whether it's we get the job or we uh, get the, the promotion or we get the house or we get the partner that we think will fulfill us. And when we realize when we get these things, why is it that we still are feeling these feelings of unworthiness or less than feelings or insecurities or this void within us. And so it always comes in a different way. So even if it's not in the relationship, it will come in a different way. It may come from losing a job or from getting some kind of illness. That these are the lessons that that we are, that if we don't receive the lesson, it comes at us in many forms. It comes at us in many different ways. And so really the, the relationship is an opportunity to see our wounds and to help each other, support each other in uh, healing those wounds. So if we allow it, then we have a reality of what a relationship is, that this is a reality-based love. This is a reality-based love. And so this is the relationship is that now we have to learn how to be in the be, the be, the being place. What happens when one partner shuts down? and shuts you out what happens when you aren't able to have things the way you want them and you need a a sense of control in your life and so we must be able to show up and recognize that we can't hide so easily yeah um absolutely i think that um you know until you get there you really aren't living uh you're not really living your your present life together right because you're caught up in all of these um, really dysfunctional patterns. Um, and the other right. thing is that you can never really solve the problem between you because you can't even get to it. <laughs> you know, you can't even get That's to true. it. So, right. so um, one of the things uh, that I had a problem with with Debatten is that there's a contradiction, it seems. So first he says, the problem is that we marry what's familiar, right? We marry that, that dysfunction. Then mm-hmm. he claims, oh, wait, the problem isn't the person, Okay, not the person we married, but our mindset, you know, that we've been socialized to see marriage through romantic lenses. So which one is it? You know, yes. is it is it the is it the person we married or is it us? Or uh, I would say it's both. We have these expectations and we've learned what we've learned to do, which is kind of a defense mechanism and a way for us to protect ourselves, is we've learned to be in a place where we kind of assess what is it that we need to have a good life? Because this is what we've been sold. We've been sold, if I have this job, if I have, if I have this partner, if, I'm, if, I get, if I get married, if I have children, we're sold this kind of linear path of what ha- happiness is. We're sold what happiness is. That mindset set has, been, has really been developed from our false self. The part of us that says, bought into the idea that if I do this, I will be happy. Mm-hmm. If I get this, I will be happy. Yeah. Uh, our society tells us what's acceptable. And so, you know, marriage is supposed to look a certain way. But, you know, there's so often I will meet um, somebody and think that their marriage is perfect. And I think that it's subconscious, right, that I, I think that. And then, you know, I'll realize it's not. And it's so funny. I have two reactions. You know, one is, um, of course, you know, of course, and that's great because then I don't feel alone. But then the other part of me is disappointed because I'm looking for perfection. We all want to believe in in the Disney version, 
because we don't want to deal with messy things. You know, it's I think it's the child in us who was looking for that, you know, perfect parent. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I really find the contradiction, you know, these two reactions in me, very interesting. <laughs> um, and I think we, we all have that, don't you? Yes, we, we want it a certain way. And that's part of where our suffering comes from is our inability to accept uh, the reality that is in front of us. You know, we're always kind of looking outward for something to fulfill us. We're looking outward where uh, we don't know how we're kind of escaping ourselves. And, 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 and so really relationships, it's, it's an opportunity for us to have a relationship with ourselves, for us to even know what it means to stand in our authentic truth, to even know what that means Mm -hmm. to, instead of, you know, when we get reactive to be able to sit with those feelings instead of not accepting a reality to be able to accept the reality and to be in the present moment so that you can see what comes up for you and to be able to respond to the situation and get clarity and get a better understanding. That's very valuable. Amy, you gave me so much to think about, and you really clarified some of uh, DeBotton's premise because, you know, there's only so much you can say in an article. And so we just had to, you know, process this with you. So thank you so much. Thank you. So let's move to the next point where he says, there can be no end to our feelings of emptiness and incompleteness, and that pessimism is the antidote to our romantic notions. I do agree with him here, that this perpetual feeling of emptiness causes many of us to look to our partners to fill the void. And when that person is unable to do so, when, you know, really no partner can do so, right? we blame them for our unhappiness. In reality, we're the gatekeeper for our hearts and we can fill it and we must fill it through spirituality, self-awareness, and most of all, self-love. Yes, I agree. This kind of brings up an interesting conversation I had. It was in, took place in a hot tub. <laughs> Sounds interesting With already. a bunch of ladies. Oh, ladies. Okay. A bunch of ladies in a hot tub drinking wine. Uh, by the time we got into the hot tub, we might have had a little too much of that wine. So the conversation got really interesting. And one of the women that was there, she is one who I could say has been blessed with what I would call a rather easy... A relationship. She just said something about how he was her soulmate. Now, this wasn't a newlywed. She has been married for quite some time. She has children that are entering high school years. And my friend and I just kind of looked at each other like, oh my God. That would be me. <laughs> and she caught on to it. She's like, what? She's like, do you, do you guys not believe in, in, in a soulmate? Is your husband your, not your soulmate? Like this, she was incredulous, really? Oh, yes. Like, she just couldn't believe it. And she said, when she asked if my husband was my soulmate, I just go, no. <laughs> and, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my husband immensely. But I just don't believe in the idea of a soulmate. And so and my other friend that was there, she was in total agreement with me. There's bound to be more than one that you could be compatible with. So I think it's more of an issue of choosing the person who is compatible and you create a bond with that person, and then you choose to continue your life with that person, knowing that throughout life's ups and downs, some days those those lovey feelings are going to be there, and other days you're going to roll over, and you're going to look at him, 
and you're going to say to yourself, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> or you won't have any feeling. Maybe so. And just yeah. get up and go about your business. But that's just the reality of it. We're set up to believe that finding that ultimate partner is yeah. the key to our happiness. Oh, yeah. We are so set up to fail. From the time I was just telling the kids today that my first exposure to the Disney stories, mm -hmm. Cinderella, Snow White, Snow White, were in Chinese. Yeah. Because I was still in Taiwan at the time. So I remember these stories so vividly. Mm -hmm. I remember loving them. Oh, yeah. I remember reading those books over and over them. again. I know. So these stories, these Disney stories about these women being rescued, mm -hmm. finding their prince, the prince coming to rescue them, set us up to believe that when we find that man or for the guy, when they find that perfect woman, that's the end of the story. Yeah, that's it. It's the pinnacle, and that will fulfill your every desire. Right. Now life is wonderful. The birds are singing. The flowers yes. are blooming. And life is just going to be happily ever after. Because they literally are in yeah. the movies. So when our partners can't meet that expectation, it's, you know, you really almost can't blame either person. No, you set yourself up for disappointment right. is what it is. Yeah. And there's been times in my marriage where I've had to take an honest look at myself and realize that, okay, the real reason why I'm upset here is because my husband is unable to meet an unrealistic expectation that I have placed upon him. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's unfair. And what's unfortunate about this is that unless you are very self-aware, most people don't realize that subconsciously they have these expectations there. Mm -hmm. It's it's a structure, a paradigm that's been socialized within our heads, right? Right. Uh, for so long that even though you've worked on yourself, you can still have those expectations yeah. and you don't realize until you get married and there are certain interactions yeah. you're having with your spouse and they trigger you. The last point that DeBotten makes is that pessimism is the antidote to our romantic notions about marriage. He says the person best suited to us is not the person who shares our every taste, but the person who can negotiate differences in taste intelligently. It's the person who is good at disagreement. It is the capacity to tolerate differences with generosity that is the true marker of the not overly wrong person. I do love this. I'll always remember what an ex-boyfriend told me in college. He asked if I could just disagree more agreeably. <laughs> I remember thinking, I want to, but I just didn't have the skills. So this compatibility DeBotten speaks of is a choice we make about being vigilantly present so that we can make the choice of how we treat our partners, that we're not reacting, which is usually a playing out of our dysfunction. So, you know, I really believe that he's hitting on a crucial point here about being good at negotiating differences. Yeah. A renowned expert on marriage calls it by another name, kindness. <laughs> Psychologist John Gottman has studied couples for the past 40 years. His Gottman Institute helps couples build healthy, lasting relationships based on scientific studies. So he did studies for all that time, and he noticed that couples were either masters or disasters. <laughs> While seated next to their spouse, the disasters had higher heart rates, active sweat glands. In other words, they were in flight or fight mode, ready to attack their partner or be attacked. Wow. I know. 
So by contrast, the masters were calm, which translated to a much warmer and more connected interaction. Gottman discovered over time that these couples were much better at a very key skill. When their partners made a bid for connection, they took it. What this means is when a couple spends time together, one person will share a thought or observation with the other, which is really that person looking to connect. If the other person does not respond, is dismissive, or even worse, is critical, then this creates a crack in the relationship. In couples who didn't make it past six years in this study, those partners turned toward their partner's bid only 33% of the time. This feature in couples was predictive of whether they stayed together 94% of the time, so it was incredibly accurate. If you boiled this down to its simplest message, it is this, to be kind to your partner, which aligns with DeBotton's last point. The key is to find someone who can disagree well. And just one more important note for our listeners Christina and I are not licensed therapists, and these are really just our opinions. So if you are experiencing depression or marital discord, please seek professional advice. And if you are in an abusive relationship, please get help. Call your local women's shelter or domestic violence organization. Find someone that you can trust and confide in them. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcatcher where you find our show and subscribe because you'll be entered to win a Gritty Girls t-shirt during the first two months of our launch. Because we are a new show, we need your help, so subscribe. Grab your iDevice, go to the iTunes store, and search for Gritty Girls Podcast. This will help you to download Apple's free podcast app if you don't already have it. Then, once you're on our podcast, hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are automatically downloaded onto your device. And for Android listeners, download the free Stitcher radio app and search Gritty Girls Podcast. For all others, you can find us on our website at grittygirlspodcast.com. And please join our gritty conversations by heading to our website where our next show topics are listed. Pick one that resonates with you. Call our chat line and record your thoughts. Quick one or two lines will do, and then you'll have a good chance of being on our show's WDYT segment for What Do You Think? We only have one rule. Enter the conversation with an open mind. Thank you for listening. Until next time, listen to understand, seek out growth, and keep the heart and mind open. It doesn't matter if we find we've married the wrong person. He says, it's a he, right? Yes, it's a he. (laughs) Okay. Forgot there for a second. Okay.